Ooh, welcome into the world with G right here on ESPN 1051, the zone ESPN Chattanooga.com, and the TuneIn app. You can have anywhere on the airwaves, but you're with me, and I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to hour number two of the Word with G here on a Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. Happy to have you along this midday sports talk radio journey. Greg Larner here, you there. Get involved with the show today, 423-648-1051. Again, 423-648-1051. Make your voice heard. You can also go to Twitter to do that. At G underscore ESPN 1051. Again, at G underscore ESPN 1051. Tell me, uh, and the poll question today is, which NFL Week 1 matchup is most intriguing to you and why? The matchups that I have up there, if you'd like to answer that poll question at any point throughout the show. Dallas at Tampa Bay. Chargers at Washington. Seattle at Indy. Cleveland at Kansas City. You can vote on the poll at G underscore ESPN 1051 or at ESPN Chattanooga. Or you can just simply give me a ring and let me know which matchup is most intriguing to you. 423-648-1051. We got to start with some basketball. Because joining me now, award-nominated podcast host, host of the Sam D podcast, good friend of mine, Willing to spend an hour in a porta potty just to talk to us on the show, Sam Dusenberry Jr. What's up, Sam D? You know, G. Even though I was contemplating being in a porta potty, all all the thoughts of being in a porta potty would have been, you know, pushed away by the fact that I stayed up late, way past my bedtime, as you know, I'm here on the road, and they watched your New York Knicks drop a big game at Staples to the LeBron list, the Dennis Schroeder list the Alice Caruso list, Los Angeles Lakers. So it was well worth that and being in the porta potty for an hour to talk to you and your audience would have been worth it as well. So all is well, porta potty or not, for the sanity today. Well, I'm glad that you're not having to spend an hour in a porta potty and uh, I would have felt bad if you did. But at the same time, you'd have to imagine that those porta potties were just put there this week, not heavily used. So it probably wouldn't have been too terrible. No, trust me, I, I, they definitely passed the sniff test, the one that I was going to uh, scout it out. Yeah, I made sure to pick one that was far away, sequestered, not often used, to at least visually not appear to be too often used. So, yeah. Smart, man. Well, I'm glad you found a little room that you could uh, talk to us in and get away from your day job for an hour to hang out with us and talk some sports. And yes, let's start right there. You mentioned the the Knicks game from last night. Big loss for them. They had an opportunity to clinch a playoff spot for the first time since, what, 2012? Would have been a big day for the New York Knicks. Instead, they dropped the game to the Lakers. And yes, it was no LeBron, no Caruso, no Schroeder. I get it. But at least it was an entertaining game. It was one they should have won. But it was an entertaining game. I I had fun watching it. It was a defensive battle. It was was back and forth. It was a little ugly, but it was at least competitive is what I'm I'm getting at. It was competitive. I mean, the the Lakers went damn near 10 minutes without a bucket. It was was some really – and that's the thing with Thibodeau. And I know, you know, people love to laud his defense. 
There's even some blue check boys who will say that he's even a good offensive coach. I no, don't know what fact. they're smoking. False. But in regards to their style of play, it makes the game so ugly and so slow from a tempo, from a pace perspective. That's the only way they can win. They have to ugly the game up. That's fine. Like they did That's like night. 90s basketball. I don't mind that. Right. That was 30 years ago, though. We're yeah. trying to transition into a different era of basketball. There. Well, if you want to yes, do something, if you want to win, you got to do something different. Sure. And they've won. See, the thing is, as, as though me and you have talked about before, this success or this illusion of success is going to warrant Julius Randle getting a max contract. And that's something me and you have both agreed upon, that that's something that should not happen. But because of the success of the season and because of this style of play, the Knicks are going to have to pay someone who's not a number one option, number one option money. And that's going to be problematic three, four years from now. Okay, I don't want this to, this next comment that I'm going to make to make it sound like that I am, yes, now in favor of giving Julius Randle a contract, but you do have to admit, and don't I understand. It, please, 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 please don't do it, G. Don't I, under- do it. I understand. I, I, you, I understand. You are the homie. Don't do it. I understand that he is the best offensive weapon that the Knicks, that the Knicks have, and he is taking all the shots, but you have to admit that he is improved from years past. He's better than he has been in the past. I'm not saying he's a max player. He's a number one option. But he's, he's not a number, a number one, one option, option on, a, on a winning team. No, he's not. You're absolutely he's right. Worth almost $200 million. No, I'm not that is crazy. That, that, I'm not that crazy. Range. But he's at least improved. He's better. He's not, is shouldn't he be the number one over. For? No. Okay, then. I'm so, not delusional, but, so, but I'm just it, saying it, he's, he's played better. And if we are well, I mean, finally going to be back in the playoffs the for the first time since 2012, give me somebody at least who can get us there. Along well, with a rejuvenated Derrick Rose. Shown, Julius Randle has shown this type of potential everywhere he's been. Now, obviously, this is the most extended time where he's gotten the shots and the minutes and opportunity and the confidence to put up these kind of numbers. But he played like this at times in L.A. He played like this at times in New Orleans. So for, for people that know him and know of his game, this is no surprise. And I'm not sitting here saying he's not a good player. I'm saying the Knicks are going to get forced into paying him number one or at the worst, number two option money. And he's not that on a championship contending team. The Knicks, as it stands right now, even with all this success or this illusion of success, are still not a championship contending team. And there's people telling me that they're one piece away. Mm, Gee, you know right. basketball. You've played the game. I have Knicks fans telling me they're one piece away. I have blue check boys co-signing that rhetoric and saying that they're one piece away. They're not. So but you, you, you mentioned Julius Randle. problem. I understand. that You mentioned Julius Randle. You know, he's shown flashes of this, but he's never been anywhere close to shooting 42% from downtown. Like, that is a – his shooting has been a big improvement. Well, he's, I mean, he, he hasn't played in a year. I mean, he had a whole year to get his game right and improve his game. I'm not, look, I'm not trying to poo-poo the improvement. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he hasn't improved. Well, what I'm saying is that the step that he took this year still makes him a low-level number two option on the champion. Yeah. So if you're now going to reward that with number one option money, that's going to be a problem. It's like when OKC had to overpay to keep Russell Westbrook. Because it came off the MVP and KD had left, and they need to reassure their fan base 
that they're going to keep somebody. Yeah, and that's what so that's basically what they're doing. That's basically what they're going to do. And they and they grew that day, and they had to move that contract three years later. Yeah. Well, you know they're going to pay Julius Randle because the Knicks have been so starved for a winner, and now they're finally going to make the playoffs this year. And it's like, oh my gosh, we need to make sure this guy stays here. But but, but here's my thing: if if you see that the Thibodeau's the meniscus tearing taskmaster Tom Thibodeau system is working, right? Does that does that system work solely because of Julius Randle? I don't think so. You just need to have an aggressive three slash four. Who's going to go take all the shots? He had that in Chicago when it was Luau Bang, Jimmy Butler, and Derrick Rose. He tried to make it happen in Minnesota with Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. And then again, Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose. And now he's doing the same thing with Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and yet again, Derrick Rose. So it seems the common denominator is get you an uber-aggressive wing in Derrick Rose, and you can make this system work. So does that mean you have to pay Julius Randle to be that number three slash four who can take those shots? Because you're going to overpay. Is he worth that? When you've done it with Luol Day and Jimmy Butler, when you've done it with Jimmy Butler and Cole Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and now you're doing it again with R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and again, Derrick Rose, is the common denominator really Julius Randle? We got to overpay to keep him? I don't think so. Well, where do, again, Sam Dusenberry Jr., our guest here on The Word with G, what, what, what would you like them to do? I think you can spread that money out to where you can go. I'll have to go back and look at the free agent market that's coming up this year, and it's been watered down since Giannis went every up. But examining that free agent market, I'm pretty sure you can find a, a young three or four that up a rookie deal, or maybe it's restricted, where it's same, the same type of position where they got Julius. All right, can I give you the free agents kind of, coming up in 2022? Sure. Go ahead. All right, do you want all of them or just guys who would fit that, that mold? Give me the, the, the three, the, the small forward and power forward. Okay, Kevin Durant. We, we, we know that's not happening. That's not happening. Uh, you have Jimmy Butler. He's not leaving Miami. Kawhi Leonard. That's interesting. Interesting. His knee is shot. His knee is shot. Yeah, so what's the better option there? Is it, is it an old Kawhi Leonard with a shot knee or Julius Randle? I think you're closer to winning a championship with Kawhi Leonard than Julius Randle, even if it's for like a two-year window. Aaron Gordon. Pass. I'm not, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. You'd and rather you have Aaron Gordon than Julius Randle? Uh, gee, it's because of the money. You're going to have to pay. Okay, okay, okay. I got, you, I, got you, I 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 got you. I thought you were going to pay the same money to Aaron Gordon. I was like, whoa, wait, wait a second. No, 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 no. Spread that money Aaron around. Gordon, you're you're going to get on the cheap. Yeah. Okay, so you get Aaron Gordon. Uh, small forwards, Rudy Gay, Andre Iguodala. Nope, all that. Nope. It has to be someone that's still relatively young, under 30, and someone that I could get on the cheap. Right now, you're telling me my options are Aaron Gordon or Kawhi. Kawhi's not going to be cheap. Aaron Gordon's not going to be necessarily cheap, but he's going to be cheaper than what you're going to have to do to overpay to keep Julius. Okay, you've got so also... Right now, you're telling me Aaron Gordon. Also, Justice Winslow? Nope, can't do that. He, he, he can't score. More Marvin Bagley? So Tiz will love him, but he can't score. Bagley is a enigma. No one knows what he is, and this is his fourth year in the league. So I wouldn't do that. TJ Warren? He's a bucket. 
can he play defense good, good enough for Thibodeau to trust him? Rodney Hood. Enigma, injury prone. I wouldn't do it. Mm. Derek Jones Jr. He could play defense. I don't know if he could score like how you're going to need him to score. Montre- he could play defense and he obviously got the ups. Montrez Harold or Kyle Anderson? Slomo is a decent option. He could score. A real cheap option. He could score. He could play defense. I don't know if any team will fear him. So you're you're gonna if you go the Cal Anderson route, if you go the slow mo route, you're gonna have to assume RJ Barrett takes another step. And I haven't seen that step. I didn't see a step last year and I haven't seen a step this year. So that's banking on the continued or the alleged continued development of one RJ Barrett. Jaron Jackson Jr. Triple J. You know I love Triple J. Yeah. Um, if, if the Grizzlies were foolish enough to let him leave with John Moran playing the way he has over the last month or so, then, yeah, every team in the league is going to be lined up to go get Triple J. But, yeah, if I'm Nick Tate and Triple J is out there, that's someone who, who can give you the defense that Tibbs want and can be a bucket, and he's a low-profile superstar, all budding potential superstar. Michael Bridges? He's got us. I like him. I don't know if he can score proficiently enough, but he's got the defense, he's got the athleticism, and he can do he can do a lot of the things that Thibodeau would want to take advantage of. I don't know if he can give you twenty plus a night though, or twenty five plus like Julius. Yeah, and you've also got his brother Miles Bridges, who also has same, that athleticism in those. Ups. Same deal. Yep. Same deal. Yep. Uh, other yep. than that, so right now we're looking at Aaron Gordon on the high end, yeah. Triple J on the sleeper end. And on the budget end, you're looking at slow-mo Cal Anderson. That's basically where you're at. I go for Aaron Gordon. I think Aaron Gordon is the one there. If, if Unless the Grizzlies are dumb enough to let go Triple J, then I think you, you give Triple J the money as opposed to Aaron Gordon. Because I think a, a good team will throw a lot of money at Aaron Gordon. Whereas Triple J, you're really, you, you need the roster spot number one to have a young buddy superstar and then you're still going to have to pay him. So if I have to do that, I'd rather do a Triple J, even with the injury history, than Julius to find the next. Sam Dusenberry Jr., again, our guest here on The Word with G talking some NBA. We're going to mix it up. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things. Uh, before we take a break, though, in the in the East, it would seem to me that that 4-5-6 seed is going to be very important because if you're one of the three teams that seem like they're going to get that 6 seed, you want to try to avoid that succeed at all costs. And right now, the Hawks, the Heat, and the Knicks are all tied at 38 and 31. Right now, technically, the way that sits with tiebreakers and whatnot, the Knicks are at six, Heat are at five, and the Hawks are at four. Obviously, if you're a four or five, you face the you know the opposing team. And if you're a six, you have to face Giannis and the Bucks, potentially the Brooklyn Nets if they slip, which is a position nobody wants to be in the first round. Yeah, it's, it's, as you said, it's, it's all about the 4-5. I think it's all about targeting Atlanta. And I think that, that's what teams are trying to do. Teams feel confident. You know, if you're Miami, if you're the Knicks even, you know, you feel confident that you can go and beat the Hawks. But the Knicks are 3-0 and against the Hawks, I believe. And, and you know, Miami's 3-0 and against the Knicks. So if you're the Knicks, you want to find your way to, to scheme your way to find a way to be able to face uh, Nate McMillan and the Hawks. But yeah, I think that those things are going to come down to the stretch of the last week of the season. And this is going to be interesting because, as you said, you don't want to play Milwaukee or Brooklyn, whoever ends up in that three spot. 
but also people want to play Atlanta, which goes to say as much as people wanted to laud Nick McMillan and the performance of the Hawks since they, I think, unjustly let go of Lloyd Pierce, teams are angling to face the Atlanta Hawks since they think they can beat them. The Hawks are getting healthy, though, man. I mean, they they had a shouldn't have been an interesting win against uh, Russie and the Washington Wizards the other night. Or team you want to face Giannis or a team who? No, no, no. I I I understand. I understand. No, no. I get it. I I I absolutely in agreement with you. But I was just stating, kind of moving on from that. And yes, I understand. You want to face the Atlanta Hawks if you have the option of facing Giannis or the Nets or even the Miami Heat. You want to face the Hawks out of all those options. But the Hawks are finally getting healthy outside of Cam Reddish. They're getting some of their pieces back. DeAndre Hunter uh, is coming back. Kevin Herter. Bo- I, dude, I love watching Boyan Bogdanovich, as they call him, bogey out there. He's just a sharp, sharp shooter, and it's nice that he kind of takes some of the onus away from Trey Young when Trey Young's going one for seven. He's out here going seven for 12 and seems like the best shooter on that team. Who's the backup point now that Rondo's gone? Uh, what was his name? Gooden, I think it was. Yeah, that's probably going to get exposed in the playoffs. And that that's why, yeah, as much as Rondo gets bounced around and gets criticized, it's Goodwin, I think his name was Goodwin. In the playoffs, in, in the playoffs you're going to want. Yeah, Brandon, uh, Brandon Goodwin. Yeah, that's that. Trey Young's going to have to log a lot of minutes. I mean, obviously, he's the star player, so he should anyway. But even when he takes a breather, it's going to be a very short breather because you can't really rely on someone else running the offense especially in those four-out-of-seven type scenarios. And then last thing on the Hawks, and I was kind of talking about this the other night, and you and I maybe have talked about this, about John Collins and his slenderness. He's like 6'9", and they have him starting at the power forward, but he just doesn't seem to match up well. And if you have two two out of your five starters who seem to be a liability on defense, that's probably not going to be a recipe for success when it comes to playoff time. Yeah, he, he's a he's a he's this generation's type of big. You know, he's a slender four that can take you outside and maybe hit the three on occasional corner three and can hit the little mid range and things of that nature. So he he fits that mold. But as we talked about, you know, since you know me and you have been doing this in the playoff time, the possessions slow down, the tempo slows down. Every single possession is vital. Every single offensive call mm-hmm. is vital. When you have a guy that can't really get his own shot outside of a clear mismatch, it becomes a watered-down solution. So John Collins has yet to take that step to me. He can kill dudes he's supposed to kill. I haven't seen him go up against the upper echelon wing defender or even per, uh, post defender and really get buckets. So, yeah, he's getting buckets now, or he has throughout the season at various times, but in the playoffs, it's really going to be the Bogdanovich and Trey Young show. They're going to go as far as those who take them because we know Capella's not really an offensive option. Deontay Hunter is working his way back into you know rhythm and things like that, so you can't really lean on him too much. It's really going to depend on how far Bogdanovich and Trey Young can take them. Sam Dusenberry Jr., again our guest here on The Word with G. Before we take a break, Sam, I had one more question. I, I, I hate to flip it back to the Knicks in the Laker game from last night, but I just thought of it because I wanted to ask it to you. And this really frustrated me at the end of the game, and I want to get your thoughts on it as well. It seemed like at the end of the game in overtime, I understand your two big players in that situation are Julius Randle and Derrick Rose. Those are the guys who have been going offensively. But it seemed like literally nobody else mattered on the offense. It was like those two guys touched the ball, and that was it, unless one of them got in trouble and they had to kick it to Bullock or had to kick it to Barrett or Noel or whomever, and then they just literally gave it right back. That kind of frustrated me a little bit that they didn't seem to run much of an offense. It was, hey, give it to Julius, give it to Derek, and then just basically get out of the way. 
Yeah, and that and that's where I go back to what I said earlier about the alleged illusion of, of the Ministerian Taskmaster Tom Thibodeau and his offensive prowess. You know, they didn't have a timeout, so okay, I understand you couldn't really draw up anything on the fly, but there should be pet plays. Now I know because of the the pandemic and the shortened schedule and things like that, they really don't have a lot of practice time. But every team has a certain amount of pet plays that they run inbounds, three quarters, whatever that they know what to do in that moment. With so much time left on that clock, to the only thing you come up with is just a, a, a almost a almost a half court heave from R.J. Barrett. When you had Rose and you had Randall out there, who, as you, as you mentioned, were carrying that team, especially in the OT, I don't understand how that's the best you could come up with. And I know uh, the game has turned into ice football. As much as we like the log, what the Nets can do and what the Warriors used to be able to do, you know, in terms of moving the ball around, things like that. But this is still a mono-mono game. This is still an iso-isolation basketball type game. And the fact that the Knicks had a chance to steal one at Staples with a depleted Laker team, and the best it could come up with is damn near a half-court heave yeah, from bad. R.J. Barrett speaks to Tom Thibodeau. It was bad. Uh, obviously, that was not the the call there. It just seemed like indecision on the on the part of R.J. Barrett, and it wasn't very good. Uh, but they did, you know, they, you know, I don't want to overshadow. They did have a nice win against the Clippers. Moral victory? Please don't tell me you're good to be given a moral victory. No, no, no. I was talking about the the win against the Clippers the, the other night in L.A., and oh, they okay, beat Kawhi, and they beat uh, Paul George, who were both playing. I mean, look, it's, look the, the Knicks have a team where if you don't come to play with your 100% effort, they will get you up out of there. And that, that is a testament to the renewed energy that the Ministerian Taskmaster Tom Thibodeau has influence on this team. But they're not going to be the good team four out of seven because they just they don't have the horses mm-hmm. to do it. They're yeah. not one horse away. They're a couple horses away. Sam Dusenberry Jr., our guest, well-spoken, my friend, here on The Word with G. We'll step aside, we'll put him on hold, and we'll come on back and we'll ask him a little bit about who's the better player, Big O or Russell Westbrook. He's broken his record, a triple-double record. We'll talk a little bit about that question as we answer that earlier in the week. We'll also talk about Kobe Bean Bryant, who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the NBA Hall of Fame, this weekend, along with a couple other players. And he'll be be presented by Michael Jordan. We'll talk to Sam a little bit about their relationship, how he was able to break through to MJ when a lot of other stars in the NBA could not, and what their relationship was like, and the last time, that's uh, the only time that Sam got an opportunity to talk to Kobe Bryant. We'll tell that story when we come back, right here on The Word with G on ESPN 105.1 The Zone. When it comes to my family, it's important to me to have... Back out of here on The Word with G. Sorry, we forgot to put the old stop command in there, but we're back here on The Word with G. It's 31 past the hour, 32 past the hour of 1 o'clock. Greg Laundered here. You there. We're joining us now is the host of the Sam D Podcast, Sam Dusenberry Jr. And Sam, we were talking about earlier in the week when the Hawks faced the Wizards and uh, Russell Westbrook went out there and recorded, what was it, his 183? Third triple double, I think it was to pass Big O. Yes, I, I believe that that is the correct number. It's not, he passed him by one. <laughs> whatever the number was, he beat him by one. Yeah, he he's he's got him by one at this point. He's got the now career record of triple doubles for career, and 
in two plus years less than Oscar Robertson played. And when you look back at both of their careers, and I know obviously you didn't get a chance to see the big O play in in real time, but going back and, and being as much of an NBA savant as you are, who in your mind getting an opportunity to see both of these guys, who's the better player as it sits right now? And if it is Oscar Robertson, is does is Russell Westbrook in your mind going to pass him at some point? Well, the, that was a big thing last week where Scott Brooks came out and, you know, basically proclaimed Russell Westbrook to be the second greatest point guard of all time. And that got a lot of people, myself included, kind of up in arms. Um, Oscar Robertson was a, a mythical creature in my head growing up. I kept hearing about big O, big O, triple-double, triple-double, even before I really knew or got a grasp of what triple-double meant. Triple double, big O. It was, it, it was, it still is to a certain degree, to a certain generation in its way, uh, synonymous with himself. So, big O did these types of numbers that Russell Westbrook is putting up 50, 60 years ago. And I think that's where you kind of have to look at the game of basketball and see how it's tr- like this transition, how it's evolved. As I always bring up when you talk about the pace of play, how many more possessions there are today in today's game. In comparison to those days, and especially in big old era, the 60s and 70s, like games where we're getting to hundreds by twos. And Oscar Robinson was out here dropping 30, 20, and 15, 30, and 15, and 12. He was doing this consistently, putting the 40 piece triple doubles. It wasn't cheap 10, 10, and 10 triple doubles, it was 30 plus triple doubles. Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, is where you get the, the clear line of a difference between what Big O was and what, what, and what Russell Westbrook is. Russell, Russell Westbrook is a elite top 10 point guard of all time. But Big O is top five. And there's a big difference between being top five in my world and being top 10. Top 10, you can kind of sneak in on the back half of that top five and you know, it's a little bit in flux. Other guys may be able to come up and pass you. But when you're top five, when you're of that cloth of Magic, Jason Kidd, Stockton, and then you're looking at slotting in a guy like Big O, Isaiah Thomas, that to me is the pantheon. It's hard to get past that. We didn't even get to Jerry West yet. You know what I'm saying? So to me, for Russell to get into that type of company, I don't know what he needs to do. But for me, being able to watch the totality of Russell Westbrook's career off of what I've been able to go back and watch when it comes to guys like Big O, even Elgin Baylor, rest in peace to a certain degree, it's a, it's a different game. It's a different comparison. And the era talk, I don't like doing a lot of era talk because if you're going to want to take somebody like Big O and put him in today's game, you can say, oh, well, he's probably not as slow, not as athletic. But yeah, you got to give him today's nutrition, though, mm-hmm. today's science. Today's sneakers. These guys were doing 30 plus triple doubles and Chuck Taylors. Yeah. Imagine if they had the type of cushion, lightweight shoes that we have today. So, you know, outside of that, Big O, it's going to be hard to, in my mind, for Russell Westbrook to pass him because of what Big O did in the era that he did it with the style of play that they were doing then, with the rules that they had then, to put those types of numbers up in that era to me, surpasses to what Russell Westbrook is doing today. Yeah, it's so difficult to do with the era talk and whatnot. Again, Sam Dusenberry Jr. hanging with us here on The Word with G. 
I want to continue with the basketball talk here in a, in a second, but you know, you're talking about comparisons and eras and things like that. And um, having this conversation last week with a couple of buddies of mine, and we were talking baseball because we were at a baseball game, and we were talking about Babe Ruth. Would he be the Sultan of SWAT, the King of Crash, the whole thing, if he played in today's era compared to when he was playing in his era where guys were probably topping out at like 87, 88 miles an hour opposed to topping out at 100, 102 here. Right. But again, when you look at what he was able to do, right, like having more home runs than entire teams repeatedly, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that type mm-hmm. of power would have translated if you bring them to today, again, give them today's nutrition, today's science, today's weight training program, yeah. today's, you know, uh, 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 diligence towards, you know, keeping your body in shape, things like that. Maybe not as hmm. perusing as he, how he gave it up. Maybe not eating hot dogs in between innings like he was known to do. You know, just being in this era would have, like, translated. I think the power, maybe he's not a pitcher because today, you know, outside of Otani, you don't see guys being able to play two ways. Yeah. So maybe he just would have been isolated as a pitcher or as a hitter. Hopefully it would have been as a hitter so we could see what that power would do in today's game. But yeah, the, the era talk is very hard because we love to just take guys from the 30s, 40s, 50s and drop them in today without giving them all the advancements of today and call them trash. Yeah. Whereas if you take LeBron and put him in the, in the 40s, yeah, he still would have been 6'9", whatever. You, you also would have had to dumb down the, the, the nutrition. So maybe the body isn't as chiseled. Mm-hmm. Even Chuck Taylor's, he's playing in a game that's slow, no shot clock. No three. Just run up and down whenever he wants. No three. So no and one. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 a whole different ball game when you're dropping people, moving them up to this era, or taking players from this era back to that era. Yeah, it's interesting, and 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 I think in in the point that I made was that look, you might think that a guy at in in Babe Ruth's era was topping out at what like ninety miles an hour. That was probably the equivalent to. What we're facing now, like that was extremely fast. Like, cause that's all they knew. Nobody threw 100 miles an hour back then. But now guys are more geared to that. They have the science, the you know, all that good stuff to to gear themselves up, and they have to get used to that. And that's what Babe Ruth was dealing with in in his era. Again, Sam Dusenberry Jr. hanging with us here, talking some sports on the word with G. Running the gamut. If you want to join us, hit us up. You want to jump in the conversation, the era conversation, anything like that. Four two three six four eight one zero five one. The great Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, or excuse me, Kevin Garnett, and Tim Duncan will be inducted into the Hall of Fame this Saturday. Michael Jordan will be presenting Kobe. Um, you know, you would have to think it was either going to be him or Shaq. And Vanessa Bryant asked Michael to present him. Vanessa will speak at the enshrinement ceremony on Saturday. That's going to be obviously very emotional, very special. Before we get into any of that, and you know, I want to ask you about their relationship and how Kobe was able to kind of break down those walls to, to Michael where some N- other NBA stars just couldn't do that and couldn't get close to Michael like Kobe did. I want you to share the last time and the only time that you got a chance to talk to Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I was able to um, go to a Brooklyn Nets game and get a press pass and be able to go see Kobe in person. You know, I was able to see, I was fortunate enough to go see LeBron when he was with the Heatles and they had that whole thing going with D-Wade and Chris Bosh. I was able to go see Melo and things like that. So I wanted to make sure I go see, I was able to see a very young Steph Curry back when the Nets were still in Jersey. Uh, so for me, I always wanted to go see 
the best players. I was unable to watch uh, Jordan in person or Patrick Ewing in person growing up. We just didn't have the funds to go do that. So when I got into this media game, I wanted to take advantage and try to go see as many great players as I could in person. So I had to catch Kobe. I was able to catch him at Barclays. And it was a virtuoso performance, but it was an old Kobe performance. And old as in he was shooting like young Kobe and old Kobe as in his body was clearly starting to break down. It was really starting to hamper him. Um, it was a game where Palika Soul got injured during the game and Kobe had to channel eight Kobe and go crazy and throw up some shots and will that team to a victory. And in the post game, I was, you know, not awestruck, but you're always trying to like gauge of whether or not you should ask a question. Mm-hmm. Did you put your hand up? And there was foreign press there. They would ask him questions in Italian and all types of stuff. And he was, you know, not knocking down answers in Spanish, Italian, and English left and right. And it was getting near the end and the PR person came up to the podium and was about to, you know, shut it down. And I said, you know what the hell with it? I'm going to ask him a question. So I asked Kobe, put my hand up. I was recognized. I asked my question. My question basically like, you know, do you do you feel that now going forward you're gonna to resort to being quote old Kobe? And Kobe looked at me and he said, Well <laughs> you know, it's like what 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 makes you think I'm old Kobe? And I was like, Well look, you're putting up shots, you know, paraphrasing. You're like you're putting up a lot of shots, that's like old Kobe. It's not team oriented, it's not the triangle like with Phil Jackson text winner, that whole thing. You tonight, that particular night, you were shooting like Old Kobe. And then he went into it, you know, he, he, he made a couple of jokes about it and things like that. And he was able to have them all back and forth. That's something where, to me, I was like, man, imagine if I would have, you know, part, you know, swallowed my tongue there, paused, oh. and <laughs> not said anything. I would have missed the chance to have, albeit a brief moment, a little back and forth with the legendary Kobe Bryant. So I still have that recording. I, I put it on the podcast, unfortunately, when he passed and things like that. And it's been out make sure to keep with me as I get older to be able to show hopefully my grandchildren that I was able to talk to uh, Kobe Bryant. But yeah, it was, it was a great moment. He gave us one landmark dunk in that game. So I was able to see Kobe dunk and, and get a facial on Brooke Lopez. So all in all, it was a really good night. Hanging with Sam Dusenberry Jr. here on The Word with G, talking a little bit about Kobe Bryant. And I was reading a great piece on ESPN yesterday about Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and the relationship they, they had and you know, in the article, they were talking about how Kobe was able to get close to Mike the way that not a lot of other NBA stars were able to do so in that era. And this was a young pup Kobe coming up and, and just having worked so hard and emulating every single move that, that Michael Jordan did. And when he first got a chance to meet him, asking him all these questions about release point and coming off screens and all these different things. And Mike basically at the end of that conversation said, call me anytime. And he took well advantage of that. And became like a, a little brother to, to Michael Jordan. How do you think my, uh, Kobe was able to break down that, that, that barrier of, of Michael Jordan, who obviously kept his circle very tight and didn't allow a lot of people into that? How do you think Kobe was able to ingratiate himself to the great Michael Jordan and them becoming as close as they were? Well, the, there's a rap phrase I always bring up, and it's uh, real, recognized real. And... You know, I think Jordan saw realness and he saw authenticity and he probably saw a lot of his younger self in Kobe. Um, and, the, you know, that doesn't happen a lot, especially when you're someone of Michael Jordan's character, uh, caliber, and just his prowess. You know, 
Jordan never really embraced any of those guys. But when it came to Kobe, it was a little different. It was a little, it was a little bit different swagger, a little bit different, you know, the way that he copied the moves and emulated him. It was so blatant that Jordan could not, not take notice. When someone is having their tongue out like you, when someone is patting their, their, their shorts like you, when they pan their turnaround jumper like you, when they pattern their haircut, even as a young kid, when you have hair and you could grow it, <laughs> you still rock the baldy. So it got to a point where I think Jordan said, look, this guy is trying to be me so much, but he's got the game. A lot of kids who know in my era, and maybe even a little bit towards your era, grew up wanting to be Jordan. Yep. We didn't have the game. Kobe was one of the few, well, probably one of the one of ones that wanted to be Jordan and actually had the acumen, the skill set, the IQ, the height, the, the work speed, ethic, the work ethic, the pedigree to actually go be that. And I think even Jordan's not blind enough to that. Jordan may be blind in other areas when it comes to trying to, you know, do do player development, and his ownership tenures have been, you know. Uh, suspect at best, but even he couldn't deny the fact that this kid is so much like me. He he reminds me of me, and I'm sure we'll get that type of sentiment when he gets the speech. We certainly are. We'll have uh, all the Jordan crying face memes, maybe once again, as he made reference to during the memorial for Kobe Bryant uh, about what was it like so many months ago, a little over a year at this point. We'll take a break. When we return, we'll. Spin, uh, spin the cycle, and we will talk a little NFL with Sam Dusenberry Jr. to finish things off. Get his thoughts on Tim Tebow signing with his old pal Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars as a tight end. Heard his workout was mighty impressive, but a lot of NFL players and NFL players still looking for work are not too thrilled about the prospect that Tim Tebow so easily got himself a job. We'll get Sam Dusenberry Jr.'s take on that, as well as the most intriguing game or games. In that week one slate in the NFL, the release of the schedule will come tomorrow, but we won't be able to talk about it unless we have a rainout in Atlanta tomorrow because the Braves are on at 12:10. So my show has been preempted by the Braves. We can't talk about it tomorrow. We will talk about it on Friday. Come back with Sam Dusenberry Jr. to wrap things up here on a Wednesday edition of The Word with G here on ESPN 105.1 The Zone. So happy Harvey Day did not go so well for Matt Harvey in Flushing as he is knocked out in the fifth inning. His official line, four and a third, eight hits, one walk, four strikeouts, and seven earned runs. Mm. The dark night did not rise in Queens today. Sam Dusenberry Jr. rejoins us here on The Word with G. Quickly, Sam, let's transition over to football. And first and foremost, thoughts on Tim Tebow getting signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars and down there in uh, in Florida, in the state that loves him oh so much, and his days in Urban Meyer with the Gators. What did you think of him getting an opportunity after not having played football for about a decade? Yeah, it's a slap in the face to have him be on this roster. It's a slap in the face that Urban Meyer is putting so much stock and so much uh, part of the pun faith in what Tim Tebow could bring. The fact that he thinks Tim Tebow could walk into that locker room and be the man or be a leader is a slap in the face to all the vets that have been on that Jaguar roster over the last few years. Um, Urban Meyer is trying to bring the college atmosphere to the pros. 
Gene, namely the college coach that has been able to get that done in the NFL in a successful way. Sparrier tried it and flamed out. Jimmy Johnson learned right away is that's not going to work here. Uh, Dennis Erickson, same type of deal. Barry Switzer, same type of deal. Mainly the college coach that tries to come here and bring that rah-rah, sis boom bob college atmosphere to the NFL, and it works. So I think it's a slap in the face to the Jaguar vets, a slap in the face to the Jaguar fan base that they're being suckered in with this chum that is Tim Tebow that's apparently supposed to make jersey sales go through the roof. How dumb do you got to be? to still be rocking with Tim Tebow in the year 2021. He's still a very prominent figure. I wish I had some time to get into it with you as I have a differing opinion on that. But let's move on to the NFL Week 1 matchup that's most intriguing to you. The four that I listed on the Twitter poll, Dallas at Tampa Bay to open the season, the Chargers at Washington, Seattle at Indy in Carson Wentz's Indianapolis debut, or Cleveland at Kansas City. I'll go Cleveland, Kansas City, only because I think that's the safest matchup where all the key components will be healthy or at least relatively healthy. I don't know what OBJ's uh, availability will be, but just in terms of if you have Baker, you have Mahomes, they're coming off the uh, Super Bowl loss, their Super Bowl blowout loss. They retooled the offensive line, so it'll be interesting to see how Miles Garrett uh, does. He's looked better off of COVID, things like that. So I'll go with Browns and Chiefs. That to me is the most intriguing. See, I, I went with Chargers at Washington. I love the the young get-after-it defense for Washington against the young upstart get-after-it Justin Herbert and that offense for the Chargers under a new regime, new head coach there in Los Angeles. I think that's going to be a fun one. I know that's one that a lot of people wouldn't look at Who's right away and fly off the plate. What? Who's the quarterback in Washington? Either going to be Ryan Fitzmagic or uh, Hinky. Heineke? Heineke, yeah. sorry. Taylor Heineke? That is enough for me to pass. As, as, as much as I like watching Justin Herbert, that, that right there, Fitzpatrick or Hinky is enough for me to pass. Well, that's why I was like, all right, well, it's either it's that. That's why I framed it as that great offense with a young quarterback against that great defense for Washington. I'm, I'm not super thrilled about Ryan Fitzmagic, but again, he at least keeps things interesting. He's at least not a boring quarterback to watch. But Sam Dusenberry Jr. has been our guest here on The Word with G. Find him on Twitter. At the Sam D T H E E S A M D or at the Sam D podcast, right? At the Sam D podcast on Twitter. Yes, sir. And you find all the great stuff over there at the Sam D.com. Sam, appreciate the time. As always, my man, you can find his podcast wherever you get your podcasts as well. Five stars, nothing left. Les, thanks for being a friend, man. Thanks for uh, jumping on and finding some, uh, some time here for us. Appreciate the time as always. Talk to y'all next week. We got to roll. Thanks, Sam. We will be back right after. Well, we'll be back on Friday after Braves baseball tomorrow. Have a great day.